0: April 4th, 2019, you are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from the Mile High City right here in Denver, Colorado. You know, if you are tired of the same old sports talk wherever it is that you live, and maybe you just hear the same stuff again and again... Whether it's talking about the same team again and again, or maybe it's just talking about the same story over and over, hang out here at the Daily Dose a little while, you're going to like it a little bit better. We talk sports with a dose of common sense, and we'd rather just laugh at most of the sports world whenever we get a chance, and actually, we get that chance quite a bit. We are happy to have you here with us today, happy Thursday to you, and we do have some serious sports history today, because it was April 4th, back in 1974, that Hammer and Hank Aaron... Tied Babe Ruth's home run record by hitting his 714th home run. Now, we hear that today, and you think about a record being broken, and we think about what goes on today. A lot of times, you know, they bring out the family of the person that had set the record. They have a parade. They have fireworks. They have all these things going on when you tie or when you break that record. It's a huge event. Yeah, that wasn't exactly how this went back then. Not everyone was cheering for Hank Aaron back in the 70s because racism was rearing its ugly head and Hank Aaron was actually the subject of numerous death threats and he was getting tons and tons of hate mail from a number of, I don't know, inbred hillbillies that didn't want to see a black man break their white hero's record. What we also tend to forget about this situation was the fact that Hank Aaron was 40 years old When he tied and eventually broke Babe Ruth's record. He wasn't this young guy. He was an old man. And he hit 20 home runs that year as a 40-year-old player. He also had 69 RBIs. And then he played another two seasons after that. Now, I know that we had the steroid-inflated era in the late 90s. And we saw Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa crushing home runs out of the park. And then... We saw Barry Bonds deciding, hey, if they're going to juice, I'll show them what juicing is really about. And so then Barry Bonds is going out and he's crushing everything. He had the longevity and he rewrites the history books. But I'm telling you right now, Hank Aaron is still the all-time home run king to me. Not those guys with the hypodermic needles dangling out of their pants. Hank Aaron is the home run guy because he didn't cheat to do it. And we can't forget what he had to endure when he set that record. Hey, if you'd like to contact the show, maybe tell us your favorite home run hitter of all time. We would love to hear from you. Hit us up on email, dailydosports at gmail.com, or you can find us over on Facebook or Twitter. Both of those handles are at Sports. Feel free to follow us over there. We do put a link to the podcast every day over there. And every once in a while, we will throw up a thought, maybe a picture here or there. But if you have a suggestion, if you have some feedback for the show, If you need a little advice, you can reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. It is a very quick way to get an answer from us. We'll always give an answer, and we just might end up using it on the show. Also, be sure to stop by tpublic.com and check out some of the Daily Dose gear that we do have over there. We've got our new investigative team gear over there, but we also have our regular Daily Dose logo stuff over there. We've got t-shirts, we've got sweatshirts, we've got hoodies, and the best part about it is you can pick whatever color you want. We do also have coffee mugs, stickers, you name it. So be sure that you stop by tpublic.com. Hey, we've got a lot to get to today. We do have a few news stories coming out. But then, as we do usually do on Thursdays, we have a number of sports media overreactions to get to because sports can't just happen these days. And the sports media just take it in stride with a little levity. No, no, no. That's not how they do their business anymore. They have to tell us some outlandish takes that make no sense whatsoever on Thursdays we like to take a little bit of a closer look at some of the silly things they say and just see, okay, is this nonsense? Does this make any sense whatsoever? We'll get to those in just a few minutes. But before we get to those, you know, I know we have talked about this a few times here on The Dose, but here is yet another crazy example of the Southeastern Conference schools just going out and spending money. They don't care. If you're wondering why is the Southeastern Conference really, really good in football and catching up in basketball because they spend money. They don't mind dropping big money on a coach. They are like sailors on weekend leave when it comes to that kind of stuff. Kentucky, of course, signed that lifetime contract with John Calipari this week. Now, I don't even know what that means. They say when he's done coaching or when they're sick of him coaching, they'll just put him in some sort of an ambassador role with Kentucky. But then you also have like Rick Barnes at Tennessee. You have Bruce Pearl at Auburn and now the Texas A&M Aggies are going into the Atlantic Coast Conference and they are pulling Virginia Tech head coach Buzz Williams to take over in college station. Now it's kind of crazy to me. If you would have told me just a few years ago that the SEC could go pull one of the top basketball coaches from the ACC, I'd be like, there's no way. Why would you leave the ACC? For the SEC, the ACC is a big dog in college basketball, but hey, this is the new reality. And hey, don't forget when we're looking at the final four this year, the SEC still has a team in it. The ACC does not have a team in it. It is kind of crazy times right now, but the SEC, they spend money and they get a lot in return for that money. One other story coming out in college basketball, Murray State racers guard, John Morant, reportedly will declare for the 2019 draft. I know, I hope you were sitting down when I told you that. I didn't give you any warning, but I know you're probably shocked. When Morant arrived at Murray State, he was an unranked recruit, but he has gone up the draft boards with his play in the NCAA tournament. Now, when he first got there, he looked like maybe he could be a contributor, but not like an NBA lottery guy. As a freshman, he averaged just about 13 points a game, six and a half rebounds, and 6.3 assists. But he took good shots and it looked like he was improving. And then we saw his ability to be a contributor rebounding the ball as a guard just get better and better. We also saw his passing ability, his decision making, just getting better and better. No, he wasn't a huge scorer, but he looked like he could be a smart player. And then this past year, all throughout the season, and then in the NCAA tournament, Ja Morant just took this huge leap. We just saw his game become dominant. As a sophomore, he averaged 24.5 points per game. His assists jumped up to 10, and his rebounds are still right around 6. He also picks up two steals per night. Like I said, I think we all knew Ja Morant would be headed to the NBA after his performance in the NCAA tournament because the only thing he could really do by staying is hurt his draft stock. It can't get any higher than it probably is right now. but Here's a question that I do kind of wonder about. Like today, it's Thursday morning. Is John Morant getting up and going to class? I mean, is he anywhere near Murray State? Has he even been on the Murray State campus since those tournament games? Because I have to say, yeah, I kind of doubt it. What about Duke superstars Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett? Are they still on campus? What are they doing right now? Are they like studying for that big chemistry test they have on Friday? Again, I doubt it. I know... We have this whole one and done situation, but it really does make a mockery of the whole college experience. These kids aren't going to school. Give me a break. They haven't been to school probably in a month and they aren't going back. We just make them enroll back in the fall and then, hey, go to a class here or there and just kind of show up so we're not getting in trouble. Uh, Yeah, and then you're done. Like, we don't even care. Then you don't have to do anything. You can move on. But just kind of, you know, tell them what they want to hear and pretend that you were at class. The whole one and done situation is a mess. If kids want to go pro out of high school, that's entirely up to them. But if they sign on to go to college, make them actually go to college. Or what's the point of any of this? And I don't care if they're taking college classes on how to live an NBA lifestyle. That's fine. Take finance classes. Take a class on how to do your taxes and how to balance your checkbook and how to tell your relatives that are trying to get money from you. No. Those classes would be phenomenal for these young kids. But what they're doing right now, it's still kind of a joke to me. Switching over to the NBA, Golden State Warriors superstar Steph Curry. He was in a little bit of a shooting slump last month, at least for what he usually does. But Curry has now hit at least five three-pointers In nine straight games. And he is making an average of nearly 49% of his shots from three-point range. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, when you think of some of the shots that Steph Curry puts up, when you think of the difficulty level of some of the shots he puts up, falling away, guy in his face, leaning from the corner, Steph Curry is hitting almost 50% of his threes. How is that even possible? You have Lonzo Ball can't even make 49% of his free throws. So, what was the change from February when all of a sudden he is just red, red hot? He says he started wearing contact lenses. He says he had gotten used to squinting for so long and he has always had issues with his eyes. He didn't realize that his vision actually wasn't as sharp as it was supposed to be. I mean, keep in mind, Steph Curry is a guy who set the NBA record. For three pointers made in a season with four hundred and two. He holds four of the top five seasons in three pointers made. And this is the guy that says he had to squint just to see the basket all the time. Now he says he is seeing more clearly, and as a result, he is even more deadly. Can I just say this? And I do think Steph Curry is a very smart guy. We know he's got some sponsorships, he's gone out and done a few things. But can I just say this? If Steph Curry does not have a sponsorship with like a Bausch and Loam. This is the dumbest revelation of all for him to tell us because I would be coming out and saying, hey, I'll tell you why I've gotten better. I'll tell you why I'm hitting so much more shots. It's these new Bausch and Loam contacts. Have you tried a pair? Because maybe you need to see just as sharply as I do. Don't believe me? Take a look at these threes that I've hit. Why in the world would he be telling this information and not have a sponsorship gig? Steph Curry. You're leaving a little bit of money on the table. I know you're a smart guy. I know you're a good player, but you might be leaving some money out there that could be going directly into your pocket. Come on, Steph, you're smarter than that. Hey, coming back with the final four now set in college basketball, you can imagine we have a number of sports media overreactions this week. The sports media world has told us some things this week. They sound like they're great hot takes. Do they make any sense? Well, that's another story. Hey, just a quick reminder that if you have any shopping you need to do, whether it's for yourself, maybe you have birthdays coming up, maybe you have holidays coming up, just remember you might want to head over to lootcrate.com forward slash daily dose where you can find the latest pop culture collectibles that feature your favorite TV shows, your favorite movies, and your favorite video games. April's Loot Crate theme is now out. It is called Showdown. When the time for talking is over and there are scores to be settled, These pop culture heavy hitters are always ready for a showdown. Hey, join us as we celebrate iconic battles with epic gear. April's Loot Crate theme features items from Captain Marvel, Aquaman, and Godzilla, King of the Monsters. But remember, if none of those franchises interest you, you can always go over to Loot Crate. You can choose from a selection of crates. You can get a monthly subscription of crates that'll arrive in your mailbox every month. Or you can just go over there and order individual items. And remember, they have a ton of things in any franchise that you can think of the best part about ordering from Crate. when you check out make sure you type daily dose in the coupon box we're going to get you 10% off of your order just as a little thank you for listening to the daily dose so on Thursdays we like to take a look around at the sports media world and see what silly things they might be saying because a lot of times they're just saying things they don't even believe they're just trying to get you to click on that article they're trying to get you to buy that paper they're trying to get you to tune into that show that they're going to be on. But when you look at what they're actually saying, it makes no sense whatsoever. On Thursdays, we like to take a little bit of a closer look and see, okay, does this have any merit whatsoever? Spoiler alert, it really does. So let's start off in the NFL, where we are hearing from the sports media world that new Oakland Raider wide receiver Antonio Brown is going to be putting up bigger numbers than new Cleveland Browns wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Now remember, Antonio Brown has a streak of 1,000-yard seasons for the past six years. Hey, he's going to do it again in Oakland. Just get ready for it. And when I look at the situation, honestly, he should. Antonio Brown is one of the most talented players in the league. He should get plenty of looks. He should get plenty of targets in Oakland. But I do have a few concerns out there. For one, I still don't get the feeling that Raiders head coach John Gruden really likes quarterback Derek Carr. Like, I kind of think he's tolerating him, but I don't think he really likes him. If we were making bets right now, say betting was legalized wherever you're at, and we could just make a bet with our phone right now, would you be willing to lay any money that Derek Carr is still a quarterback when the Raiders end up in Las Vegas? Yeah, me neither. We know John Gruden is notoriously hard on quarterbacks, and we've already seen that this last year. Him and Derek Carr didn't always play well together, and Carr didn't look like the quarterback that we had seen him be three, four, five years ago when it kind of looked like he was this young up-and-comer. He kind of looked like a guy that was a little bit shaken, didn't have a ton of confidence, kept overthrowing receivers. I'm not sure you want to put that much confidence in Derek Carr and the Oakland Raiders offense because they haven't really shown me that much reason to. Now, we look at the Raiders and some of the moves they've made this offseason. And their offense should be improved on some level. I mean, they do get Antonio Brown. They did get running back Isaiah Crowell. And they also got wide receiver Tyrell Williams coming over from the Chargers. But take a look at what the Cleveland Browns do have. I mean, running back Nick Chubb, quarterback Baker Mayfield. And here is what I think the key is. A far better offensive line. I didn't think that would be the case. I thought last year, the offensive line for Cleveland would spell doom for Baker Mayfield on some level. It actually came together pretty well. Now, we have to see what new head coach Freddie Kitchens is going to do. I don't have any idea if he's even equipped to do that job. But make no mistake, Cleveland has just as much talent as the Raiders do offensively. And they have a little bit of an advantage in that we've seen the Raiders offensive line kind of start to take a step back. They were above average three or four years ago. No coincidence, when Derek Carr looked better, now they look like they're below average. I expect production from Antonio Brown. But hey, Odell Beckham Jr. has a chance to have a ton of success in Cleveland. This isn't an easy pick. It's a lot closer than people are acting like it is. Another sports media overreaction we are getting this week is that now that New England Patriots tied in Rob Gronkowski has retired from the NFL, he should be a pro wrestler. He has that kind of personality. He could be a great pro wrestler. Hey, it's just a matter of time. That's where he's headed. He's going to get in the ring. You're going to see him on, I don't know, Monday Night Raw or whatever those things are called. I don't pay attention to that stuff. And I get it. Gronk looks like a no-brainer for pro wrestling, doesn't he? But here's one thing everyone seems to be forgetting. Why is it that Rob Gronkowski is retiring? Because he's sick of the game? No, I don't think so. Because his game has fallen off? Not really. He's still playing at a pretty high level. No, it's because his body has been breaking down. Now, I realize pro wrestling is a bunch of slick, choreographed soap opera skits. I understand that. But in between the acting and the horribly delivered lines... There is a ton of physicality to this stuff as these giant freaks perform their gigantic ballet moves. Are you really telling me that Rob Gronkowski is going to be performing some, I don't know, crazy flying suplex off the top rope or something? I mean, he might do it once or twice, but that's not going to last. That dude is staying together right now with like bailing wire and duct tape. I don't think he's going to be doing anything physical for an extended period of time. We can all act like he's going to be the next great wrestler. I don't know if physically he can do this. Remember, some of the injuries that he has had, elbow, knee, back, yeah, that doesn't just go away, and it certainly isn't going to get better with him bouncing around in a wrestling ring. No, I don't think he's going to be in the pro wrestling ring for an extended period of time. We might see him drop in here or there. I don't think that's going to be his future career, though. Switching over to pro basketball, one of the things that we're hearing, and maybe this is just coming out of San Antonio, but I have heard it on the national level, but they are saying that now that he is retired, former San Antonio Spurs guard, Mono Ginobili, is far, far underrated. He should be in the all time top 30 as a player. He was a great, great player, and we've all kind of forgotten about him. He, you know, he kind of was winding down in his career. And then you kind of tend to forget just how good he really was. Manu Ginobili really should be in the all-time top 30 as a professional player. And hey, I'll be the first to admit, I like Manu Ginobili a lot. He was a team guy. He did so many of the things that it takes to win games that a lot of times players don't like to do. He could shoot, he could drive, he could pass, he could play defense, and you absolutely knew he was going to go left every single time. And you still couldn't stop it. He would show you just enough of a lean to make you think he might go right. And as soon as you leaned over to cut off that right, yep, he went right back to the left. And you knew he was going to do it. And you still couldn't stop it. Okay, so the sports media world is telling us he should be a top 30 player of all time. All right, I guess so. So be it. Manu, you're now in the top 30. Hold on a second. Who are we going to kick out of the top 30 to make room for Manu Ginobili? Because You don't just get to push him in there like it drops someone out. Let's take a look at the guys who are currently in that top 30 area. I mean, I'll just go off of Slam Magazine's top 30, okay? Here is what they have as their top 30 players. Patrick Ewing. No, Manu can't go in past Patrick Ewing. I understand he won the titles. That's not the same situation. Patrick Ewing is an all-time great. No, he can't go past Patrick Ewing. David Robinson. Again, without David Robinson... I don't know if we ever have a Manu Ginobili. So no, he can't pass him. Allen Iverson, one of the best all-time players for his size. Are you kidding me? No, you can't go past Allen Iverson. Kevin Garnett? Ah, uh, no, I don't think you can go past Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett was such a freak of nature, and because he came right out of high school, he played for so much longer. I don't think you can go past Kevin Garnett either. John Stockton? Nope. You're not going past John Stockton. Stockton might be the best passer ever in the NBA. Dwayne Wade. Yeah, I don't think you can go past Dwayne Wade either. He was just too explosive. Dwayne Wade was really, really good. Karl Malone. Again, one of the all-time leading scorers in NBA history. Can't put him past the mailman. Charles Barkley. I know we look at Charles Barkley now and he's kind of a cartoon figure, but people forget just how ruthless and... And how powerful and how explosive Charles Barkley was on the basketball court. There's no way you can put Manu past Charles Barkley. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not moving any of those guys. And now we're getting into the top 20. Now, I know it sounds great for the sports media to lob that out. Hey, Manu Ginobili is underrated. He should be a top 30 guy. Yeah, he was really, really good. And maybe you want to move him up, I don't know, into your top 40 or top 50. I don't know. But I just don't know who you kick out to make room for him. Let's just say this, let's just agree Monte Ginobili was really good, and let's just leave it at that, okay? Now, of course, with the NCAA tournament getting down to the final four this past week, and it will be taking place on Saturday, we have had a number of sports media overreactions to some of the players, to some of the teams, and to some of the coaching moves that have been made in the NCAA tournament. Let's take a look at a few of the more interesting ones that we have heard this week, and this one is going back a week or so, but the foul against Tennessee in their Sweet 16 game against Purdue, when Lamonte Turner fouled Carson Edwards on that three-point attempt when the Volunteers were up two and there were only two seconds left, hey, that was the wrong call. You should not make that call there. You can't make that call at that stage in the game. At least that is what the sports media world is telling us. Well, here's the problem, though. Tennessee coach Rick Barnes said the referees made the right call. Turner didn't allow Carson Edwards to land on his three-point shot. And at the end of the day, that is a safety issue that referees have been told to focus on. It's pretty easy as a defender to stick your leg out there and make a shooter nervous about coming down on your foot. Was this the worst example I have ever seen of that play? No, but you didn't let him land and it was a foul. And to say that it wasn't lets that defender off the hook when he made a play that I guarantee Rick Barnes told him not to make. I promise you, I will bet you money when they broke that huddle on that timeout. Rick Barnes said, hey, and no dumb fouls. You close out and you stay set and you put a hand up and you make him prove he can bury that shot in the corner. You don't run at the shooter and put yourself in a position where you can't stop and as a result, the referee kind of has no choice. Oh, I don't want to call this call, but he didn't let him land. I have to blow my whistle. That's what happened. And as a result, you got called for it. Wasn't the wrong call. Sorry, Tennessee. That's just how it goes. Staying in that NCAA tournament, we have had a number of sports media overreactions to the Duke Blue Devils early exit from the tournament on Sunday. Let's get to a couple of those because one of the ones we are hearing is that on the final possession of their Elite Eight game against Michigan State, down by two, Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski, he really botched this game because he put the ball in the hands of R.J. Barrett instead of Zion Williamson. And we have a certain, uh, how can I say this, loudmouth sports show host saying this all week, Mike Krzyzewski is the reason Duke didn't advance. Mike Shashevsky screwed this up. He should have given the ball to Zion Williamson, and Duke would have won the game. And this is exactly why that certain loudmouth host gets made fun of a lot. Because we can tell you never played, you never coached. All you did was sit in the stands with a pencil and write your random thoughts down. Because it's really apparent when you say things like this, dude, you don't get it. So much wrong with this stupid take. I honestly don't even know where to start. First off, we'll start here. Duke got exactly the look they wanted on that final possession. R.J. Barrett has been very good closing out games, both in high school and so far at Duke. You wanted him to have the ball. Had you gone to Zion and he missed a shot, everyone would be saying, why'd you go to Zion Williamson? You've been going to R.J. Barrett all year. Why would you change that? But on the play in question, R.J. Barrett drives to the basket. He draws a foul. Hey, that's not bad. That's kind of what you want, isn't it? Obviously, you would have loved him to finish and make the basket. Maybe you get an and one or something like that. But again, let's apply a little common sense here. R.J. Barrett is a more versatile scorer right now than Zion Williamson is in that situation. You give him the ball. You tell Zion, crash the boards in case of a miss. Here is the real problem the Duke Blue Devils faced. The flaw of this team isn't who took the shot. It didn't matter if it was Barrett or Zion. The problem is exactly what it has been all year. You don't have a consistent shooter for either Barrett or Zion to kick the ball outside to. And don't tell me Cam Reddish. He's a 33% three-point shooter. And don't tell me Trey Jones. He's a 26% three-point shooter. The Blue Devils couldn't consistently shoot the ball all year, and it cost them. Because we saw on that last possession... Michigan State just said, hey, we're just going to block off this key. You had outside shots. We just know Duke couldn't make them. And we also saw Duke's transition defense be bad all day. And we also saw horrible turnovers all day. Blame those things. Don't blame who took the last shot. Don't blame Mike Krzyzewski for giving the ball to Barrett on that last possession. You're only complaining about the outcome. If the shot goes in or if he makes the free throws, everyone's saying, oh, Mike Krzyzewski's a genius. You're only looking at the outcome. R.J. Barrett missed the free throw, so everyone goes, oh, Mike Shashevsky's an idiot. No, he just has inexperienced players. He doesn't have great shooters. And let's be honest, R.J. Barrett kind of choked in the big moment. Hey, that's what happens when you have freshmen. One other hot take we are getting this week is that the NCAA Tournament Committee did a poor job of seeding this tournament because Duke should not have had to play Michigan State in the Elite Eight. Michigan State? That should be a Final Four game, not an Elite Eight game. And like it or not, this tournament just isn't as sexy without Duke in it. Yeah, I've got a few problems with that. I didn't realize it was the NCAA committee's job to assure Duke the easiest route to the championship game. I actually thought they were supposed to seed the tournament 1 through 68. I think that's what they did, isn't it? But here's something interesting to think about. Yes, the overall number one seed Duke Blue Devils lost to the number six seed in the Elite Eight. But let's not just kind of push this aside. Let's not conveniently forget that Duke was also taken to the wire by the number 16 seed Virginia Tech. And they were taken to the wire by the number 34 seed Central Florida Knights. So we can act like this was just some terrible setup by the committee. Or we can start to come to terms with the fact that, like I said, the Duke Blue Devils had some major flaws. Yes, they were extremely exciting. And I loved the hype that that team brought to college basketball. But here is the bottom line. The regular season and all the hype and all the excitement, they are a perfect fit for these one-and-done type teams. But you know what's not a perfect fit? A six-game single elimination tournament. No, that's a horrible fit for these kind of teams. Because when you get into a tournament like that, we see the more experienced team win. We see the more disciplined team win. We see teams that are more system-oriented win these games because that system has been ingrained in these kids for more than just one year. And we see those kids having success. We talked about it earlier this week. All of the final four teams this year are system-oriented. It's not that AAU freelance crap. We are seeing teams go out there and say, hey, here's our system we are going to execute when the game is online. It's not an accident that Kentucky... And Duke, the one-and-done teams, are already gone. It's not. It's because these systems are beating these individuals. You can blame the committee if you want to. It's not really the committee's fault. Finally, we have the very common theory being thrown around in college basketball just in general right now that Zion Williamson is the most exciting college basketball player ever. Hey, and please don't misunderstand me. I am not hating on Duke. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny that the one and doneers got knocked out, but I really like Zion Williamson. I really like a lot of those kids. Williamson has a great personality. He seems like he's got a great attitude about everything. The fact that he came back and wanted to play for his teammates and with his team and for Duke, that speaks volumes about how that kid is just as a person. So I'm not hating on Zion Williamson. And is he the most hyped player maybe in college basketball history? Yeah. Because of all the social media stuff we have now, We've never seen a kid like this. We've never seen so much media hype about a kid coming into college basketball as we did about Zion Williamson. I don't think we've seen anything like that since LeBron James. And I really think Zion actually took that to a different level because we have so much more social media now. There are a ton of people that already knew who he was when he walked onto the campus at Duke. That's something a little bit different. But I also think that this take that he is the most exciting college basketball player ever. Yeah, I think it's really, really lacking in history because while maybe we weren't tweeting these things out, I think people are failing to remember just how exciting it was down at LSU when Shaquille O'Neal went down there. I think we're forgetting how exciting it was when Patrick Ewing went to Georgetown or Alonzo Mourning or Allen Iverson We forget how much hype there was around Kansas when Wilt Chamberlain decided he would go there or when Ralph Sampson went to Virginia. When Vince Carter went to North Carolina. Remember when Kenny Anderson went to Georgia Tech? That was a huge thing. He was one of the top players ever at the high school level. When Chris Webber went to Michigan, it got other kids to join him. Chris Jackson at LSU, who eventually became Mahmoud Abdul-Rahouf. When Magic Johnson was at Michigan State, it was a huge deal. The University of Houston somehow got Akeem Olajuwon. The Indiana Hoosiers got Isaiah Thomas. And never, ever forget the excitement that the UCLA Bruins had when they got guys by the name of Bill Walden and, at the time, Lou Alcindor. And again, you know what I notice about this? It's not the young kids who don't know any better. That's not what bothers me. The young kids have no idea how exciting it was when, say, Kenny Anderson signed at Georgia Tech, but I remember that. But here's my problem. When I hear these sports media guys talking about this is the most exciting, come on, you were old enough to know better. I know you remember when Patrick Ewing signed at Georgetown. Don't act like you don't remember that. Stop having those short memories. We just have such short memories as sports fans. But here at The Daily Dose, We have to be just a little bit smarter than that. Hey, tomorrow on The Dose, we will be recapping the biggest news in the world of sports. We will have our weekend preview. Going to be taking a look at those final four games that are coming up on Saturday, and there are going to be a number of other things for you to watch this weekend. Plus, we will have our Daily Dose Top 5 for you. You know you have to tune in for that. i say thank you all so much for listening to The Daily Dose each and every day. Thank you for the feedback. Thank you for the questions and the suggestions. Thank you so much for sharing the show. We couldn't do any of that without you. Have to say thank you to JSP. Couldn't do any of this show without you. I will see you all tomorrow. Have a great Thursday.